Hello folks, my name is Gary Washburn and this is the first edition of the Washburn Files, my new podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. Uh, we are very excited uh, to have you guys listen in. It's going to be a very exciting basketball season where we're going to talk about a lot of great things, a lot of different things. Obviously, the, the Boston Celtics, the NBA, uh, the city of Boston, other issues that might come up. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun this year with this podcast. We're going to discuss a lot of issues, going to have some special guests. Um, we're going to have a lot of things going on here this year. Uh, so I am excited you're here for the kickoff. Um, it's been a, uh, you know, hopefully 2021 will be a lot better than 2020 and we're going to get this uh, year off to a, a great start um, with this podcast. Uh, I'll introduce myself uh, in terms of what I do um, and give you some background on me. I'm Gary Washburn. I'm the National NBA writer for the Boston Globe. I have been for the past 11 years covering the Celtics and the NBA, so I've been at all the big games over the Celtics uh, since the 2009-10 season, the year that they reached the finals and lost the to the great Kobe Bryant and the Lakers um, in game seven. I've been there uh, for a lot of those uh, amazing situations, the Doc Rivers era uh, and all the Brad Stevens era. So uh, I'm up to date and I I know my Celtics. So, uh, you know, I know my Celtics basketball. So we're gonna have a lot of good discussions about the Celtics. Um, And before then I covered the Sonics for the Seattle Post Intelligencer, a, a newspaper back then. I covered the last three years of the Sonics, including um, that last year with Kevin Durant covering him as a rookie, a very skinny rookie playing shooting guard under PJ Carlissimo. Um, so I was able to uh, have the pleasure of doing that. Unfortunately, the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City. Um, I covered that entire situation. Um, and a year later, I moved on to the Globe, but I was able to cover uh, and also covered Ray Allen in Seattle, too. The two years of Ray Allen before he was traded to the Celtics and that blockbuster deal that created the big three along with Kevin Garnett. So before then, I covered the Orioles for MajorLeagueBaseball.com, saw, saw a lot of bad baseball, <laughs> uh, made plenty of trips to Fenway to see Manny Ramirez and Nomar and Trot Nixon and Troy O'Leary hit game-winning home runs off the Orioles. It was a uh, pretty uh, uh, interesting situation to see the Orioles um, try to compete with the Yankees and Red Sox, but never quite get there and watch his, uh, you know, no lead was ever safe. You get to the ninth inning, three-run lead, the, the Sox would score four in a walk-off. Uh, before then, I covered the Oakland A's for the Contra Costa Times, during the Moneyball era. Uh, so I w- obviously I wasn't in the movie with Brad Pitt. I didn't get a, any money. I didn't get a, any role in that movie, but I was there for the birth of that era. Um, the Jason Giambis, Miguel Tejadas, Eric Chavez's, Barry Zito's, and Tim Hudson's and those guys. And before then, um, I covered the Clippers for the Los Angeles Daily News, my first professional beat where um, I covered the playoff Clippers under uh, someone that Boston fans are very familiar with, Coach Bill Fitch. Um, Coach Bill Fitch was the coach of the 96-97 Clippers, uh, the team that went 36-46 and but yet made the playoffs, lost to the U- Utah Jazz with Malone and Stockton in the first round, 
but it was in a pretty amazing situation to cover uh, the Clippers during that time where they were basically Los Angeles' stepchild, uh, playing in the cavernous uh, and decrepit sports arena, but still was able to make the playoffs uh, for a team with that included Derek Martin, Lamont Murray, um, Brent Berry, Pooh Richardson, uh, a lot of those guys. So um, that was my first professional beat. And before then, I covered high schools for the Los Angeles Daily News. Um, I'm a UC Berkeley graduate, born and raised in Los Angeles, grew up a Lakers fan during the Showtime era. So it, uh, it makes working in Boston very interesting. Uh, I'll tell a quick story. When I moved to Boston in 2009, a lot of my uh, friends and family who were Laker fans did not like Tom Heinsohn because they thought Tommy was a little biased toward the Celtics when he announced those NBA finals. And uh, during the 80s on CBS with Dick Stockton, if you remember those, and if not, uh, kind of maybe Google those. And and uh, Tommy was a big time, I mean, Locally in Boston, he's known for being the Celtics announcer, but nationally, he was known for doing the NBA Finals. So uh, a lot of people uh, in the Los Angeles area grew to despise Heinsohn because they knew he was a former player, all Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame Celtics coach, but then he was calling Celtics games against the Lakers. And of course, there was a, I thought he was fine, but there was a lot of people who thought he was a little biased. And so when I moved to Boston and got and met Tommy, he couldn't have been a nicer person. And I know my friends wanted me to to relay that he wasn't a good guy. He was a not you know unfriendly. And Tommy Heinsohn could not have been a better and more friendlier person to me uh, over the years. Um, God bless him. Uh, I know he passed away last year in a very difficult 2020. So uh, you know, God bless Tommy and and. It was a great a pleasure to deal with him on in the 10 years that I was able to be around him. And I tell all my friends back home, he couldn't have been a nicer guy. So throw the, you know, throw all that out the window, which you thought of him before. He's a great, he was a great guy. Um, and so that's my background. Um, and right now, you know, it's Tuesday morning. We're watching this. The Celtics just completed a 126-114 win over the Toronto Raptors. That's a game I was a little bit surprised. I was, I thought it was one of the bigger games of the year, back-to-back. -back. They had just um, had a tough road in Detroit. I mean, Detroit gave them all types of issues. The Celtics could have won both games or could have lost both games. They, they ended up splitting. Uh, they should have won the first game, going finishing uh, scoreless for the final 4-15 despite, you know, blowing a five-point lead and then go, missing their last 10 shots. Um, you know, Jalen Brown missed an open three. Marcus Smart missed a point-blank layup. I don't know if it was, the as Brad Stevens said, the basketball gods talking to them and telling them that they can't start a game so poorly. They fell behind 35-14. to 14. They just didn't seem ready to play. And they came all the way back, took a five-point lead, and then didn't score again. And then the, in the rematch two nights later at the Little Caesars Arena, the Celtics, you know, played a lot better offensively but couldn't stop the Pistons. The Pistons, I mean, whether it be Derrick Rose, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, uh, Mason Plumley, it was like, take your pick. They were scoring, and Jason Tatum was able to win the game um, with a – with a jumper with 2.9 seconds left, 
and Jalen Brown hit an earlier three to put the Celtics up two. So I thought the Toronto game was going to be a very difficult game for them simply because the Raptors were hungry. Uh, you don't really have, generally have many back-to-backs where you're going from Michigan to Florida. The Celtics had never played in Tampa before. Toronto's angry team, one and four, just a slow start. Two of those losses to the Pelicans, which is interesting. A tough loss at Philadelphia, a tough loss at San Antonio. So those are forgivable losses. It wasn't as if the Raptors were just getting blown out. It, they were playing, you know, good ball, but not finishing off games. So, and then when uh, Toronto jumps out to a 23-10 lead, looks like the Toronto of old hitting three-pointers, Fred Van Vliet. Pascal Siakam, um, you know, O.J. Ananobi, Kyle, all those guys are hitting three balls. You're like, okay, the Celtics are about to just kind of get blown out here. And then suddenly a pretty stirring run. The Celtics go from trailing by 13 to leading by 15 at halftime. Um, They just, you know, overwhelmed the Raptors. And I thought it was the most impressive win of the season simply because of the back-to-back situation. And also you're facing a conference rival. You're facing a, a team you just faced literally three months ago, three and a half months ago in the bubble in that epic seven-game Eastern Conference semifinal series, a series I thought took too much out of the Celtics in terms of preparing for the Miami Heat. They just, Toronto took a chunk out of them in that series. And I felt like uh, if they had were able to finish that in the sweep or go up 3-0 and Ananobi doesn't hit that shot, I think the Celtics probably beat the Miami Heat because they're rested and more better prepared instead of rolling right in from a seven-game series to Toronto to a Miami team they didn't have much time to prepare for, and the Heat were obviously ready for them. So I thought that the um, I thought Monday's game was a it was a critical game. Jason Tatum forty points, Peyton Pritchard twenty three points, and boy. Um, Let's talk about Peyton Pritchard, okay? Uh, being on the East Coast, I'm a, I'm a Pac-12 guy. I went to a Pac-12 school. I'm probably one of the few people uh, that subscribe to the Pac-12 network out here because I watch my Cal Bears. I have known about Peyton Pritchard for four years, watching the University of Oregon always beat my Cal Bears. And so I had known about him. I know that he was kind of a gritty guard, 6'2", 6'3". Now he's listed at 6'1". I thought he was a little bit taller at Oregon. Didn't know he was that small. Um, And he had just always the the guy who hit the big shots. Always the guy that dived on the uh, floor for loose balls. Was the heart and soul of those Oregon teams, including the one that went to the Final Four a few years ago. He was just kind of like the identity of that Oregon Ducks team. But you ask yourself, okay, uh, here's a kid you know, unsung, coming out of Oregon. He's played, you know, high-level basketball, but not really on the, you know, he can't went to the Final Four, but Oregon lost in the tournament a couple of times. They didn't, there was no NCAA tournament last year, so we didn't get a chance chance to see Peyton Pritchard on the big stage as a senior. Would he, how would he adjust to the NBA being the 26th overall pick? I mean, there were people who thought that the Celtics should have taken Desmond Bain. They ended up taking Desmond Bain, but they traded him to Memphis. Um, you know, should you have taken a, a big like Vernon Carey? There were plenty of guys on the board at 26 the Celtics could have taken with that pick, and they t- chose Peyton Pritchard after taking Aaron Neesmith with the 16th pick in, um, 
And the question was, is he going to fit? How is a, a kind of a diminutive guard going to fit at the NBA level? Is he, you know, the, he's not a freakish athlete. He's not super speedy. Um, how is it? How is this going to work? And there was a lot of doubts and a lot of uh, Celtics faithful who had not seen him play. Um, I had seen him play, and I told people that Celtic fans are going to love this kid. He's he works hard. Uh, he just looks like a guy that you want to root for. And so far, my goodness, he has exceeded all expectations. Um, the Celtics last night were without Jeff Teague, who had a sprained ankle, and without Marcus Smart, who had a sprained uh, right thumb. Smart played the entire Detroit game, did not come out, did not talk about the thumb afterwards, but, but somehow obviously got hurt. Uh, it was the same thumb that required surgery a couple years ago that cost him to miss a good chunk of the playoffs. So the Celtics are being cautious. So you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, the combination of Tremont Waters and Peyton Pritchard, uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what do you got there? 30 total NBA games. Uh, if you, if you count, I don't know how much Tremont played last year, maybe what did Tremont play 25. Um, and you got Pritchard, a rookie, um, and how are they going to match up against the pretty much all-star duo of Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry? How's that going to work? How are the Celtics going to compete when you've got, you know, they've got to stop those two guys and then try to run the offense, getting the Celtics into, the, you know, get the ball to Tatum, get the ball to Brown. The Celtics uh, are toast. That's what, that's what the thought was. Um, Brad Stevens started Waters, which, is a, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought he would start Pritchard. He started Waters, and Waters did a solid job of managing the offense. Um, did nothing special. I mean, five points, five assists, you know, four turnovers. You know, Tremont was a minus 17 last night. I'm, I think Tremont is a solid backup NBA point guard. I haven't seen enough personally to think that he can start in this league. Um, he's not a good enough shooter at this point. I was a little, um, I was a little uh, unnerved by, he, he pulled up for like a 30-foot three-pointer just coming into the game. He hasn't shown um, the ability to hit the three-pointer yet in his NBA career. Uh, I don't understand why he continues to shoot those shots. Uh, in his NBA career, he is now officially 5 for 28 from the three-point line. Um, so I'm not sure why Tremont feels comfortable shooting the three yet. Uh, he's a 27.1% shooter, and I'm not here to criticize Tremont. Um, I thought it was just interesting, though, that Stevens decided to start him over Pritchard. Uh, you know, but we need to see more... Um, out of Tremont Waters, I believe, uh, in terms of before, I think there can be a determination whether he can be a dependable backup point guard because if you look at the numbers, he had the worst plus minus by far last night, uh, minus 17. Um, he did have five, as I said, but four turnovers, four fouls. Um, you know, he hit both his free throws, but but he hit and he hit a three, but he was one for eight from the field. Pritchard, though, Comes off the bench, plus 18, 23 points, 8 assists, 2 rebounds, um, and just 
is just a, been a steady force. Just he acts like he's been here before. Eight for 13 from the field, two for four from the three-point line. It's exactly what the Celtics needed. And, you know, Van Vliet had 35 points. Van Vliet looked like old Fred. He, you know, there was times in the bubble where he struggled, but he looked like all-star Fred. Um, and the guy who just signed a major four-year, $80 million extension, and he also had, you know, eight rebounds, three assists, two steals. But Lowry just didn't seem like himself, five for 13, 18 points. Just, you know, he usually terrorizes the Celtics. He was not himself. Uh, and the Celtics won that battle, even though Van Vliet had 35 points. Uh, you know, Pritchard had just as much impact. And if the Celtics can get that type of production out of Peyton Pritchard, I'm not talking about 23 points a night, but just steady shooting, steady on-floor decision-making, they're good at that position. Teague so far has been up and down. He had a really good opening game against the Bucks, and then uh, he struggled with his shot since then. Marcus Smart's played the point guard position and done, to me, a very good job. I think one of the underlying stories the, uh, that's not been talked about is how Smart has sacrificed in many ways offensively to distribute the ball um, and play more of a floor leader as opposed to jacking up threes. There's been some times, you know, he jacked up that three against the Pistons on New Year's Day. Uh, that was an ill-advised shot late in the game. He missed it. Um, it could have put the Celtics up. Um, instead, you know, he misses it, and the Cel you know the Celtics end up losing that game. But for the most part, Smart has made very good on-court decisions. Uh, I think that's one of the you know underlying uh, storylines of this thing. Underappreciated storylines is that Smart has played well, um, and there, and of course the Celtics are waiting for Kimball Walker to come back. Um, from his injuries, I think it's going to personally be another month or so. Uh, I would not expect him back anytime before the early February, maybe mid-February, and it's going to be limited minutes. So this is the Celtics team. They're going to field, uh, field and hit the floor with for the next several weeks, okay? Um, I don't, I'm not, they don't have enough roster space to bring in another guard. Um, I suggested maybe they might bring in Isaiah Thomas. This is, you know, to, to supplement the bench, um, they would have to make a roster move for that to happen to bring in another another player. Um, but it all depends on if Pritchard can come off the bench and score like this, if T can return to, to, to getting his shot down, they might not need that. Um, but there are going to be times this, this bench is going to need to score. Um, but Pritchard has just been, to, to me, an all-rookie team uh, candidate right now. I wouldn't say rookie of the year. I think James Wiseman, because I don't think Pritchard is going to have those eye-popping numbers. You know, Wiseman for Golden State is going to get a lot of minutes. It's probably going to go for like maybe 15, 8, 10, 9 rebounds, a couple of blocks, and that's rookie of the year numbers. Uh, but Pritchard, definitely one of the top five rookies in this class so far from an experience situation in terms of getting major playing time. It's obvious, I think, from the preseason that Brad Stevens trusted Pritchard. We saw that early with him getting minutes, being, I think, in the first, uh, you know, the second unit, the, you know, first one of the first players off the bench during the pre, the couple of preseason games. It's like, wait a minute, because um, we don't get to watch practice. We don't know how, let's say, Pritchard's doing um, against, you know, a smart 
or Waters or Teague in practice. We can only see the games. So the fact that Stevens trusted him with um, those types of minutes in that role just said a lot because he's a rookie, obviously, coming from Oregon, uh, didn't play on the big stage in terms of TV games and things like that. Um, and, you know, was the 26th overall pick. You don't usually see that. Um, there's a lot of rookies right now that have yet to play or play much. One of those is Aaron Neesmith. Aaron Neesmith got 10 minutes on Monday, um, 0 for 3 from the field, 0 for 2 from three-point line, picked up four fouls in his 10 minutes. I mean, he... It's just interesting how Neesmith was considered the most NBA ready because he was a he was a shooter and he was gonna there was kind of thoughts, okay, he can play himself right into the rotation. And he's unfortunately for the Celtics having those rookie kind of adjustments where he can't avoid fouls, where he's he's just not quite um making the adjustments, whereas Pritchard's kind of blended right in, and Prince Pritchard was taking, uh, taking uh, sorry, 12, 12 picks later. Neesmith was a 14th pick overall, and, you know, Pritchard's blended right in. Neesmith, so far, uh, 3 for 12 from the field, m- much, much of that garbage time, 2 for 9 from the three-point line. He'll get it together, um, but it's going to take a while for him to play into the rotation. He's got to learn certain things. Defensively, teams are going right at him. Um, he's got to get his positioning. There's a couple of calls on Monday where he thought he he was able to get in position, but he got a rookie call. Um, let's be honest. If, if he goes up against a Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet or a Pascal Siakam, he's not going to get that charging call. He's not going to get um, a defensive, you know, he's going to, Anything, any kind of contact, he's probably going to get the foul because he's a rookie, and that's the way it is. Just ask uh, Grant Williams last year, uh, who couldn't avoid a foul. Or I remember uh, for you Celtic fans, Jared Sullinger spent his rookie year. He just entered the game with three fouls um, because, as a rookie, because he was getting so many early, uh, so many calls against him. Uh, so I wouldn't be concerned about Neesmith. I think Neesmith is gonna have an impact on this team. It might, it's not going to be now. He's just got to take his time. Um, he's got to catch his breath. You know, remember too, he had an injury last year for Vanderbilt. So he missed um, the last couple of months, of, I think the two months of the season before obviously the March of 11th pandemic. So Neesmith has not played organized ball for 10 months before he jumps into the NBA. That's, that's not fair. Um, and as much as you can work out and take a thousand jumpers a day and practice, it is not an NBA game. And Neesmith has is, is just got to get his head straight. And I think the good thing, um, one of the good things about just having so many injuries is you get him into the game and get him some experience. You're probably going to need him down the stretch, uh, maybe for shooting, maybe just to you know play a defensive role here or there, maybe stretch the floor. Um you know, he's just got to get his his feet under him, and, and he's just got to get that experience. It's going to take time. Um, you know, one thing that I uh, noticed last night, and I decided for the Globe my story was going to be on the Raptors. I thought the Celtics played well enough, and Jason Tatum had 40 points, and we can 
as reporters write about Tatum or Brown every night because those two guys are playing like all-stars. I'd be shocked if both didn't make the all-star team because um, they're going to name an all-star team, even though they probably won't be an all-star game. Uh, you know, both are all NBA candidates. Uh, Jalen Brown is a, it's an early, very dark horse MVP candidate. If you really want to put it, you know, down with some of his numbers, I was a little stunned. He didn't get Eastern conference player of the week. Uh, he had better numbers across the board um, than other than rebounds than Tobias Harris, more more points, better percentage from the field. But Philly, Philly went 3-0. and The Celtics lost two games. So obviously it was uh, the wins and losses that made a difference there. But um, I decided to write about the Raptors because the Raptors looked like kind of a mess after that first half of the first quarter. They jumped out to a 23-10 lead. And you thought, okay, the Raptors usually find their bearings against the Celtics. They have been, they have dominated the Celtics over the last several years. The Celtics don't win much in Toronto. This game was in Tampa, but you thought, you know, the Celtics on a back-to-back, Toronto on rest, Toronto only having one win, and knowing that they, you know, in a rematch of the Eastern Conference semifinals, that the Raptors would come out and just punch first, and they did, but they just didn't have any punches left after that. Um, Fred Van Vliet, as I said earlier, was tremendous with 35 points. Lowry just didn't seem like himself. Pascal Siakam, wow. I mean, a season-high 22 points, but a lot of that was in, in the second half when the when the, the Celtics led by double digits in, in, in uh, more than 20 points. I, I don't know what to say about Siakam. He has not been the same since the bubble. Uh, I'm looking at him, you know, seven for 15. He's a minus 13 on the floor, five fouls. Uh, just, you know, he was usually taking guys in the post, scoring on those jump hooks, little mid-range. Now, you know, he's taking too many three-pointers. He's not a really good three-point shooter, even though he had two for five last night. He just doesn't seem like himself, and that affects the entire Toronto team. And defensively, I wasn't sure what to make of the Raptors. Um when you have Mark Gasol in the paint, and Gasol, I think, in that series against the Celtics, offensively was terrible. Let's be honest. He couldn't score. He couldn't hit a jumper. He missed layups. But defensively, he still knows what he's doing. And you have to look at that play in game three when Ananobi got free for the three-pointer that won the game at the buzzer, that he, the screen he set on Jalen, the kind of how he blocked Jalen, like the savvy, smart basketball plays. Like, the Mark Gasol knows how to do that. And I think the Raptors miss him and they miss Serge Ibaka desperately defensively. Because Ibaka, although he's not the shot blocker he was in Oklahoma City many years ago, is still a defensive factor. So those two guys in the paint affects your defense and ability to attack the basket. And Aaron Baines just didn't seem engaged last night. 14 points, sorry, 14 points, 14 minutes, 0 for 5 from the field, 4 rebounds, um, just didn't look himself. You know, Chris Boucher is more of a 7-foot stretch in 4, um, and they just defensively, they don't have anyone to, pl- to plug up the paint. When you lose two centers, remember, they lost Gasol to the Lakers, Ibaka to the Clippers, 
and they replaced them with Aaron Baines and thought, well, we'll give Chris Boucher more minutes. And Boucher can be a shot blocker, but he's more of a, of a perimeter guy. Um, I don't know if he can be a defensive stopper like that. And that affects the teeth of your defense. So the Celtics were able to score at will in many cases. I mean, they shot 49%. They hit 15 threes. They got to the free throw line. So I wrote about the Raptors, and the Raptors, I think, are in trouble. They're one in five. You know, Kyle Lowry said last night that they have no swag, that teams are looking at them and saying, hey, let's go eat. Let's let's get these guys Um, because they have no – right now – they're not scaring anybody. And Nick Nurse is a really brutally honest coach, and he ripped his bench. He ripped his starters. I mean, and, and I got to admit, the, the bench for the Raptors, they got a lot of guys, but they just didn't do much. They were 8 for 29 from the field last night, the bench. Um, you get 11 minutes out of Stanley Johnson, who doesn't do much. Um, Malachi Flynn, 0 for 6. Now, He's a guy in the preseason, I remember people looking at him, and he played a pretty good preseason game for the Raptors, and people were saying, wow, they should have, the Celtics might have taken him over Pritchard. Well, you know, that shows the difference between the preseason and the regular season. Uh, Flynn just didn't look uh, very good at all. Norman Powell, a guy who can score in bunches, who's hurt the Celtics over the years, one for six, he's shooting under 30% from the field. Um, the Raptors are in trouble to me. Uh, because this is who they are. They don't have any major injuries. Um, this is who they are. And they're just trying to find themselves. And so I think it was a good time for the Celtics to catch the Raptors. And you also have to take into account with the Raptors that, listen, they're playing in Tampa. They're away from their families. They can't play in Canada because of the COVID restrictions. It's unfortunate that... You know, the NBA can't return to Canada yet, that these guys have to basically move down after being in the bubble for three months, move back to Florida. So it's a definite adjustment. I don't know how many wins and losses that will mean. Um, and, and to be honest, let's face it, there's not many Raptors fans in Tampa, so you're going to get fans, because they had, I think, 3,500 there last night, who are going to root for the other teams. you got a lot of transplants in Florida. So there are a lot of Celtic fans at the game. And just think when the Lakers come or uh, the Miami Heat drives up from, from the coast and, and teams that have real big fan bases, the Knicks even, let's face it, there's a lot of New Yorkers in Florida. They're going to be playing on the, essentially on the road. So it's a tough road to hoe for the Raptors at this point. Um, and I, I think what I saw last night, I was not encouraged. And they got a West Coast road trip coming up. You know, with, with, with games at Phoenix. And, and, I mean, they've got to figure out, uh, quite honestly, um, what who they are. And it's going to happen fast. Or you can start out, yeah, Phoenix, Sacramento, Golden State, and Portland. I mean, four tough games. I mean, they could, they could legitimately come back one and nine. And in the East, the East is competitive, folks. Atlanta's for real, I think. Cleveland's better than people thought. Let's look at those New York Knicks. <laughs> the New York Knicks are, are, are not to be slept on in terms of, I'm not talking about making the playoffs. I'm sure they'll drop a little bit, but they're a tough out. The Knicks are not playing here. Um, Indiana's 5-2 and two with a 
And 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 if you're the Celtics, that's in, you know you're thinking, wow, the, the Celtics could have beaten the, the Pacers twice. They didn't beat them once. Orlando's five and two. Um, and let's look at the bottom. Not the bottom, but Miami's three and three. Brooklyn's three and four. Those are teams we we you know booked for the playoffs. Charlotte, remember Charlotte? It was supposed to be great with Gordon Hayward and Lamelo Ball. They're two and five. The Wizards are started zero and five with Westbrook and Bradley Beal. They're two and five. The East is tough. Started out one and seven, one and nine. Not suggested. They're gonna if you start out there, it's gonna be hard. And you're just going to be trying to get in at, eight, at that, you know, maybe the 10th place to get into that play-in tournament. So the, the Raptors, I'm not saying their season's on the line here. It's a little early for that. But remember, folks, a 72-game season, so 10 less games, sorry, 10 fewer games, and you have, so that's that's not a whole lot of, um, you know, that's less time to get yourselves together. You don't have 82. Um, so the Raptors got to figure it out. Um, when we talk about the East, um, as I said before, the East is tough. I mean, Philadelphia started out six and one. Um, you know, the Magic five and two. We don't know what to make of the Magic. The Magic every year seem to, you know, have these spurts where they look like a real good contender, and then they go, they get the eighth seed, and they lose in the first round. So let's, you know, pump our brakes on the Magic. But they are five and two. Um, the Bulls, three and four after a slow start. You know, it, it is a competitive conference. The only team that you're looking at that you're probably saying, okay, they got no shot is maybe Detroit. And I just saw Detroit over two games, and they're not some, someone, a team to sleep on. They can score. Um, they can score. They just, you know, they're just not as complete as other teams. And, and I'm sure they're going to have a tough time winning on the road. But Detroit's not terrible. I mean, they're I mean they're a team. They they score 111 points a game. It's just a, unfortunately for them they give up 117. So they got to work on that defensive side. But you got Rose Plumley, Jeremy Grant, a guy who could be a breakout star um, after now being the first option or second option this year, as opposed to maybe being the fourth option in Denver. I think that's why he didn't resign there because. There's too many guys ahead of them, of him in Denver. So, but I mean, you could maybe say the only team uh, that is, you know, won't make the playoffs or has no shot might be the Pistons. But remember, you got 10 spots here now. There's a play-in tournament, okay? So they're going to have teams who are going to hold out for that play-in tournament who in previous years might have been sellers at the trade deadline or whatever, who think, hey, we can still get 9 or 10 and take our chances. So if I'm the Celtics, you know, you, you, if you're a Celtics fan, you got to feel pretty good. Five and three, fourth in the East. Okay, it's way early for that. But you're, you're not, you know, one and seven. You're not two and six. You've, you've won a couple of games, close games. Um, of those three losses, two you feel like, as a Celtics, uh, if you're a Celtic, the Celtics, you feel like you could have won the Indiana game and the Detroit game. The Detroit game's the one that if you hit one shot, you win the game. Um, but they finished 0 for 10 from the field. So you got to feel good about yourself if you're the Celtics. Um, and let's look at the upcoming couple of games. Miami, two games with Miami over the next five days. That'll be interesting. The Heat 
are three and uh, three and three, just trying to get themselves together. They just seem like they're not quite right after the bubble. Um, that that quick turnaround from the NBA Finals, um, they're trying to figure themselves out. So you got kind of a game, uh, kind of a mini series here. Game on Wednesday, game on Sunday against the Heat. Um, you know, Bam out of bio, lead the team in scoring. You know, Jimmy Butler, boy, ten point eight points per game. He's just you know, only in only 26 minutes. Butler has been a little bit banged up, but he's off to a really, really slow start. Uh, 37% from the field, um, 0% from the three-point line. Has not hit a three-pointer this year. Um, so it might be a good time if you're the Celtics to catch Miami because they're still trying to figure things out. But if you look at this team very deep, um, you have, literally have seven guys averaging 10 points or above, including Olenek. Who, who's playing a bigger role, Duncan Robinson, and uh, former Celtics, former Celtic Avery Bradley signed with Miami um, in the offseason, two-year deal. Uh, he's averaging 13 points a game. Goran Dragic's uh, healthy now from his foot injury that he suffered in the finals in the bubble. And then Tyler Hero, uh, who uh, punished the Celtics in that critical um, game five with the 37-point game, um, Sorry, game game four. I'm sorry with a thirty with a thirty seven point game. Uh, he's averaging fourteen point three points. So a very deep team in Miami, and then coming to the Garden on uh, Friday is uh, the Washington Wizards, and who knows what to make of them. Uh, they started out zero five with losses to the Bulls. It looked like Scott Brooks was on a serious hot seat. Then they come back. And they win at Minnesota without Russell Westbrook. And then they come back and win at Brooklyn with Durant and with Kyrie. So you figure it out. You, you figure out um, the Wizards at this point because I can't. So they could, you know, play a great game on Friday or uh, not play well at all. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but with the backcourt of Beal and Westbrook, two very, very potent and dangerous players, and you got guys like, Hakimura, Thomas Bryant, Davis Bertans, a good quality team there. So the Celtics have their work cut out for them. Um, they've got to figure some things out. They've got this double big lineup. Um, a lot of uh, folks, you know, if you read the Troy word, do not like the lineup of Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice starting. They've gotten off the slow starts. They're not defending well. Um, the question is, does having two bigs, on the floor with Tatum and Brown clog up the paint for Tatum and Brown. That's a good question because you think um, that you want to give him as much space to penetrate and get into the paint, and Thompson's not going to draw any defenders out to the three-point line, and Tice won't really either. Either no, Tice is a better three-point shooter. He's an improving three-point shooter. If you're a defense, you're not going to run out and cover Daniel Tice at the three-point line. So, We'll see how long they stick with that lineup. But for now, I think for Celtics faithful, um, Monday's win was, I think, the most important of the season. Getting a quality win against a division opponent, uh, getting 40 points out of Jason Tatum, the 23 out of Peyton Pritchard, getting good, good quality minutes from Simi Ojale, 15 boards from Robert Williams. So I think that that was the most quality win of the season. Um so we're going to wrap this up here, and uh, I want to thank you for listening uh, to my first podcast. I hope you got some information out of it. 
Please send me your feedback. Follow me on Twitter at G Washburn Globe. Let's talk. Give me some ideas. We'll have special guests. We'll have a lot going on uh, for this 2020-21 basketball season. And um, I hope you have a great day, great afternoon, great sports week. And we'll talk to you soon. 